Welcome to episode 20 of Amateur Bartending for Immature People. I'm Shannon. And this is Greg, and this is the podcast where we're talking, thinking, making, and drinking cocktails. Oh yeah, we are. Uh, that sounds like a good idea. Well, we've had a pretty good summer here so far, haven't we, Shannon? Sure have. We took a, a week or two off of our podcast here. To Absolutely. Kind of made it more of a bi-monthly as opposed to every week, but it's been, I think, you know, I think we've been having a good time. Yeah, we sure have. We've been uh, trying some drinks. Absolutely. That's for sure. <laughs> well, what do we have for the patient listeners who have been waiting for their next episode? You know, we did an episode uh, a long time ago, actually. It was one of our first episodes, and we talked about gin. Mm. So we didn't talk about the extremely fun and storied history of gin. Ooh, I can't wait to hear about that. And I think I really enjoy gin. Um, it is a lot more compatible with things than I had expected when we got into cocktailing. It's more versatile than, than one would really expect, I think. Yeah, so we, you know, we've gone into uh, making gin drinks that are, you know, Typical gin and tonics, of course. You can't. Sure, you can't. You can't. Dis- can't talk about gin without at least mentioning gin and tonic. And I love a gin and tonic, but mm, we're absolutely. not making that today. Summertime goodness. But we also have gone more into a martini style. Sure. And, uh, um, but also mixed like actual Manhattan style mm-hmm. drinks, but using gin base. And so I've got a couple for us today to feature. Excellent. And some fun history on a couple of things. So, All right, I am ready. What are we starting with? We're going to start with a drink called the Hanky Panky. Ooh, that's a sexy name. I think you've had this before. I think we've had it before. Um, the Hanky Panky is a drink that's made with gin, mm-hmm. sweet vermouth, and Fernet Branca. Mm-hmm. Fernet, the polarizing flavor of Fernet. Fernet you c- would use in smaller amounts. Right, and I think this drink is in, it's in, it's in smaller amounts. I like the taste of it. I know, I know a lot of people do, but it could be polarizing too. But and and I think you've seen it in bars. I know I had it. Mm-hmm. Just never oh, yeah. really knew what it looked, what it tasted like. It's kind of a white label. It's got like a little um, gradient of a bird on the top of it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. If you're somewhere and you haven't bought it before, just ask to try it. But don't let that don't let that dissuade you from this cocktail because it's really interesting when it's mixed into a drink. Right, right. Fernet itself. Yeah, Fernet. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and this this cocktail is. Uh, it's kind of, I think it's a classic for sure. You see it on a lot of menus. And like you say, you know, before really digging in deep, I really didn't know what it was going to taste like, but I really like it. It's a good one. Me too. So the Hanky Panky, funny yeah. name, what do by we the need? way. I like it. Um, we are going to use a gin. I use a London Dry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to do one and a half ounces. And we're going to, and as you can tell by the glass, uh, we're using it into a mixing glass. All right. So we're going to put a little ice in the mixing glass here. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Very good. And then we're doing one and a half ounces of the gin. Okay, one and a half carefully measured ounces in there. Okay. And we're going to do one and a half ounces of sweet vermouth. I used Antica formula okay, for ours get today. That big bottle of Antica. Here we go. It is, it's in there. There we go. And then two dashes of Fernet Branca. Okay. And that is, um, I used a quarter of, wait, no, an eighth of a teaspoon. Um, to make our cocktails today. Right, right. That's about the, I think that is the measurement is um, the smallest little teaspoon we had. Yeah, I they say it dashes, but yeah. it's in an actual 750 milliliter Yeah, but milliliter I, think, I, think jar, when so. you, I think when you calculate that out, if you looked it up, I think we looked it up one time and it's in one podcast. It's like an eighth of a Yeah, so I used, that's what teaspoon. I used. And I think we have an eighth teaspoon, so I, we used we it, did. I think. So. Yep, so yeah. I did the dash. They call it a dash, but we actually had to measure it. So yeah. um, that's it. Literally, that's it. So All we're right. going to go ahead and mix that up. All right, we're going to mix that thing. Here we go. 
and I'm going to peel a little bit of lemon. I mean, sorry, a little bit of orange. Oh, and I'm okay. going to pull my cocktail glass out of the freezer. Here we go. All righty. All right, if you can just strain that into here. All righty, here we go. And pour that in. Looks like a classic brown cocktail. Yes, looking very much <laughs> like uh, you know, your classic Manhattan, kind of that brown, kind of you know, golden brown liquid in there. Yeah, it's fun. This um, hanky panky is the is from 1903, and it was began at a bar with a from a bartender at the Savoy Hotel. Okay. And the it was a brainchild of this person. Her name was Ada Coleman, and they were um, a member of the family that first produced Gilbert and Sullivan operas in London. Really? Yeah. And they went often to this American bar at the hotel where she then eventually became the head bartender and made cocktails for the likes of Mark Twain, Prince of Wales, Prince Wilhelm of Sweden, really? and, and Charles Hartree. That's cool. Yeah, so that's where this that's where this uh, cocktail had started. That's really cool. And it is a classic, and we found it in a lot of different recipe books. Mm -hmm. All right, so cheers. Let's see what All you right, think about let's this. Grab this thing here. Here, and we'll cheers, cheers. Chin, chin. Chin. Let's give it a shot. All right, let's see what you think. It smells really good. Oh, it does. That orange peel in there smells really nice. It tastes really super smooth. Mm -hmm. The fernet and the combination really kind of what I get is um, on the drinks. Probably a taste, a little bit of that kind of herb essence of the mm -hmm. fernet. But about the time you think that's going to be too much, then it kind of smooths out and rounds out with the... Uh, with the vermouth in there. Right, the sweetness of that vermouth. The sweetness really. of, the, of the vermouth definitely rounds that uh, kind of the threatening to be herbal and bitter taste of the Fernet. And then, of course, then it has that little hint of gin. And what gin are we using in this one today, babe? I might use Tanqueray for this So the one. Tanqueray. So it's going to be a, a dry gin. A I actually dry. use Tanqueray for both because okay. I've got a big bottle of it. So, there you go. Um, you know, what I think is interesting about these two. I think most people associate with the two drinks we're going to make today. I think most people associate gin with gin and tonic. And mm -hmm. I personally love the flavor of gin. Mm -hmm. But both the drinks that we're going to be featuring kind of give it a different... Kind of gives it a different uh, different, different set of legs. Exactly. And this... It's very versatile, I think I said earlier. It is. And it's um, the drink, this hinky panky. I don't feel like the gin comes through as strongly uh -uh. as like gin and the tonic. vermouth and yeah. the frenet come through a little again, bit. It's like, again, kind of the the word that you hear us use quite often is balance. So the flavor is really balanced on this. You know, it's going to have a little bit of that, like I said, the herb essence, and then a little bit of that sweet from the vermouth, almost, you know, you can kind of pick it out. But it, it's nice when you're able to actually pick it all out on the tongue. You go, okay, there's the gin, there's the... It's good. Yeah, good cocktail. It's, I really it is like really it. good. And we've had this before. Um, in case you're wondering what Fernet is, it's a bitter Italian digestivo. So mm -hmm. um, we'll go into more about that at some point later on. Yeah, we might feature more cocktails at a different episode. Mm -hmm. um, or we'll do something about all those weirdo things at some point. Yeah. Maybe. But for now, buy for your now? bottle of Fernet. It'll last you forever when you're making only hanky panky one eighth of a tablespoon at a time. So as you're enjoying the hanky panky, as why wouldn't you enjoy why, hanky panky? Why wouldn't you enjoy it? Um, I think I want to talk a little bit about the crazy history of gin. You have alluded to it, and I can't <laughs> wait to hear some crazy gin history. I've gotten some. I'm going to give you some sources because I've gotten some information which I might pare down a little bit. I might also read a little bit from. So from Wikipedia sure. and from VinePair.com. Okay. Vine Pear had a really good article. It was called The Complete and, ins and Slightly Insane History of Gin in England, <laughs> which I think is uh, 
maybe apt. <laughs> maybe apt. So um, they go back to the beginning of Jin and Jin, um, as we've gone into before, but just to rehash, um, juniper is Jin's core flavor ingredient. And it's uh, a clear distilled alcohol that's infused essentially with gin and some some herbs. So mm-hmm. um, they had found um, that a physician in, gosh, when was it? Like 70 AD, I think. Um, 70 AD, okay. AD, <laughs> 70, z- 70. Exactly, exactly. Um, a, f- a physician named... Oh my God! I will try my best. Xanthion. <laughs> no. Bumblebeams. Pendanius Doscridides. Dos- no, that's pretty close. He was the defen- Wasn't he the defense against the dark arts teacher in one of the Harry Potter movies? I think he was. Uh, he was probably one that didn't survive. Um, he published a five-volume encyclopedia about herbal medicine, and in there, he actually had a description of juniper berries seeped in wine to combat chest ailments. Oh, it definitely combats it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's working right now. I'm feeling mm-hmm. real good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1055, the Benedictine monks of Salerno, Italy, included a recipe for tonic wine infused with juniper berries, and they have a compendium Salernita. Oh. Salernita. Yes. So That's cool. Uh, it always comes back to the monks. I think monks and booze. Monks and booze. Mm-hmm. Either beer or booze or wine or. So there was earlier kind of recipes that used juniper. Um, and that's kind of the classic flavor, I think, right now for uh, for a gin. It comes to mind. Comes to mind. I think is is that juniper taste. Yeah, I think so. So fast forward, 16th century. Um, the Dutch had a spirit called Genevieve. And Guinevere, I think, is Guinevere. I told you I'm not a linguist. So that's right. That's a whole other podcast that yeah, we do not do. And that's not one that I will be featured we in. We don't do that one. Um, and Guinevere featured a malt wine base and a lot of juniper berries in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think probably to disguise the taste of how bad the wine was. Uh-oh. Or how bad the malt wine was. Um, but again, medicinal, right? They kind of all end up that way, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> it's always medicinal. But by the 1700s... It's always medicinal till it's not. Yes. Until then you have to not have it, <laughs> um, which is going to be actually the case of the gin in England. Oh, I can't So wait. by the 1700s, it had taken on a new form, and that was gin. Now, I read multiple different things. It said that Genevieve was not the same thing as gin, that the English started gin but there seems to be a lot of things that maybe are a little too close too much parody yeah genevieve if you were just a little lazy you could easily call it gin sure you could and then that would be easily converted over to gin so right. and also that they both i don't know i mean i'm not here to prove right. anybody wrong but i have some doubts about some of the right. history and you're I've probably had. right on the pronunciation it probably was not genevieve it probably was genevieve and then that's why they call it gin but it's with a g they go, no, it's G-E-N. with a G, yeah. Yeah. But it was, co- people were probably saying Genevieve, and they went, oh, it's just some gin. Yeah. Which they thought might be J-I-N. And honestly- But then later it was proven to be G-I-N. Holland is not that far away from England. No, for God's sake. It's a sakes, pretty no. short boat ride. No. So, you know, especially all things considered Especially when you're loaded world. on gin. <laughs> so, um, so the English are like very like, oh, we own gin, and it was our thing, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Um, so the first- 
But the first written use of the word gin with G-I-N, like we see it. Kind of was, the classic Yeah, it was spelling. the 1740s in a book called The Fable of the Bees. Uh-oh. Or Private Vices and Public oh. Benefits. <laughs> I like Private Vices and Public Benefits. That's cool. It's your new band name right there. Yeah, that's a band name for sure. <laughs> Private Vices is pretty amazing, actually. It's like Miami Vice, Private <laughs> I'm your private vices, vices for money. Do what you want me to do. Sorry about that. No, that's fine. Do you want to keep going? Or? No, that's that's okay. all I know of that song. Um, so what they <laughs> have this person uh, took the uh-huh. monosyllable of intoxicating gin as is that he thinks that the British were too drunk to pronounce Genevieve. I think you're probably so they right. abbreviated the word. Um, everything pretty much as opposed uh, as according to this article went pretty much downhill from there. Okay. So have you heard of the gin craze? I I I've seen some like old timey woodcuts. Yes. Yes, exactly. The old timey woodcuts. I feel when we get into this, then we will describe this woodcut. Yes. And then you guys will be all googling this and Google Wikipedia. The woodcuts, and this, yep. Yeah, because it's uh it's something else. It's like a, it's like the whole scare tactic thing. It is, but I it's have like more the, info about it. So exactly. let, let me let me uh, okay, catch okay, everyone okay. up. So in the late 1600s, um, there was an upswing of gin in England, um, but not maybe in the best way. Right. So William III of England, um, he was a Dutchman originally known as William of Orange. He became the King of England, Ireland, and Scotland in 1689. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading this right now from Vinepair because it's a quote. Okay. He began his reign by implementing trade war and protectionist-style economic tactics against France mm. that might make some modern politicians jealous. He enforced blockades and introduced heavy taxes on French wine and cognac in an attempt to weaken their economy. So he had like started some tariffs, essentially, and uh, on French wine and cognac mm-hmm. from regions that were probably had a pretty healthy trade in alcohol. Sure, yeah. I mean, France is I mean, it's pretty much wine and cognac central. But this, he wasn't stupid, this William III, because he was trying to like cut out France, right? So at sure. the same time, he William III also instituted a thing called the Corn Laws in England. And that provided tax breaks on spirits production, resulting in distilling free-for-all. Because then there was tax breaks for people to make their own. So you got this big, giant uptick in personal stills. Yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because all of a sudden you are getting some money back to be able to have your own still. Oh, wow. So you're getting paid. It's a tax break. so. So you're getting paid to have a still. Well, maybe not paid by the government, but you're getting a break on your tax, your regular taxes, wow, right? That's so essentially, cool. yeah, you would be getting something cool. back for it. Sure. And then you aren't spending money on cognac and, f- and French wine because oh, yeah, they want to they oh, want to yeah. bring it all back into the country, right? Sure. Um, but it created some problems. So then England's poorest people began drinking gin less responsibly. Uh-oh. Uh, also, because it was readily available because everybody's starting to make it, right? Right, right, right. Um, and a lack of social mobility can also uh, instill the want of drink. 
into people. <laughs> the lack of social <laughs> mobility can instill a slight want of drink to a people. Please read this Vine Bear article if you're that, interesting because it's pretty good. That's some good. Um, that's some good use of the English language right there. <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody who had money um, sipped tamely on their better quality stuff. Um, you know, because they were making because they had money to put into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So they were they were um, importing where the best juniper which of course makes gin. The yep. best juniper came from the Mediterranean. And Absolutely it would. But of course if you're poor, you're not going to be able to buy juniper from You're not going to be able to import your juniper from Greece. Yeah. I mean, what do you so what do you do? You're going to be looking for something that uh, tastes the same. Something that maybe tastes the same. So they started looking around to see what it is that they could put into it instead. And if you're guessing, it probably wasn't the healthiest uh replacements then you're probably correct yeah oh yeah so sawdust turpentine mm, turpentine um, oh yeah all, all sorts of uh, sulfuric acid oh yeah just it became a free-for-all jesus uh, basically they were like either just going completely crazy or just dying all over well, the place probably probably the i mean part of those decisions were probably made because you're drinking these just 100 percent <laughs> distilled spirits and you're going oh my god i got a great idea well so. and also you know, this is England, so pubs have been sure. around for ages, and beer has been around for sure. millennia. So they're not drinking as much beer now as no. they're drinking. Now they're drinking their homebrew. They're drinking their own distilled hard alcohol. Absolutely. So if you think about the alcohol that they're intaking at the same time, you know, it's oh God, it's yeah. wild. and. They didn't drink water there generally because water Not wasn't very then. safe. Yeah. So they would drink tea or beer. And now all of a sudden they're like throwing gin in as an option, right? So this is why they call it the gin craze. And it's clear, so it's kind of like water. So during that time, there's like a five-year window, right? There's a five... I have to find this, like how okay. many how many um, distiller or how many gin distilleries there were. It was thousands. It's crazy. I think I've seen that statistics it was mad i'm just gonna guess but they said i think one in every four houses had i know this i think that's what it was yeah one in every four houses had their own Own still still, yeah (laughs) that is crazy so after a while the government's like this is a real social problem like we are not being able to show up for work yeah people are dying they're not to mention dying themselves they're gin obsessed they they're just drunk everywhere all the time. Um, and so then they started to introduce a distiller's license. And they made it 50 pounds at the time. Yikes. And so then the industry plummeted because yeah. nobody could afford it. So then there was only two official licenses that were issued in the next seven years. I wouldn't doubt because that's and terribly then, expensive. Yeah. Then after that, like, of course, everybody started shutting down their personal home stills. Home stills. <laughs> um, and while they were doing that, they also, it was probably around the 1750s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of propaganda that was being created sure, for this too. Sure, sure. And there's a, really fam- there's a really famous etching called um, Gin have you, Lane. Have you seen my etchings? Okay. <laughs> and Gin Lane. They're on display. There was two, actually. So two etchings came out at the same time for publication. Uh-huh. One was called Gin Lane. Got and it. the other was called Beer Street. 
Well, remember, they're trying to turn people over to beer because they think it's healthier. Sure. It probably honestly Lots of good was stuff in healthier. There. Lots of good stuff in beer. So Beer Street was like this etching where all these people were like fat and happy and laughing. They had their tankards, but they were all like... Robust. Robust, because they thought if you were heavier, that meant you had a good life and that you were healthy. And then Gin Lane is about the most depressing... It's a squalor. (laughs) The most depressing etching. squalor. If you just look this up on Wikipedia, you'll easily find it. And you'll love it, too. Um, I I did. Suitable um, for framing. There's things like a lady is breastfeeding her baby and the baby's like falling off of a stairway... There's um, somebody in a shop who's selling um, something, and there's... Is that in the same... Um, that might not be on the same etching. But there's, like, a whole, like... There's, like, people with, like, coffins and skeletons. Those and people selling all their stuff, selling their jackets. and bo- eating bones along with uh, dogs in the fighting gutter. Fighting a dog and, like, off from a bone, yeah. <laughs> and it has a whole thing on there about, like, the distillery is, like labeled on one of the things and then the cemetery has or the it's right there the yeah. coffin maker has his sign right behind so it's a it's very fun to to dive into that we also found other etchings from that time like a lady in a store selling something but it's well, not no, really it, a it lady. was a guy it's a skeleton but with a yeah it was a dr- it was a a gin patron all saluting and uh thinking he's toasting a lovely lady when it's a skeleton holding a mask in front of his face. Very oh, eerie. It's and good. on Gin Lane, one of the most disturbing things was a drunk man who's beating himself on the head with bellows, like the kind you yeah. make a fire go. Well, he's has a baby on a spike that he's either, just like wandering around with. It's either with. a baby or a small child on a spit, yes. Um, In the article I read, they said that there was a suicidal barber. I don't know if I saw that one. Um, and they said there was a lot of syphilis, syphilis sores and other charming moments. Ah, syphilis. <laughs> so, anyway, there was a lot of, uh, they were trying to really turn people around. But I think what really did that was... Um, All those people died. Possibly, but no, I think that it was because they added those taxes. And then they also uh, sure. did a thing called the Gin Act in 1751. So it was really like a 10-year... Maybe a 10-year period where it was just kind of this free-for-all. Free for all. Um, so the Gin Act in 1751 was a parliamentary measure that was intended to crack down on spirit consumptions, and it raised taxes and fees for retailers and made more licenses difficult to come by. Mm. Um, in addition to beer, though, um, as a as a positive, you know, that they wouldn't... What's the word I'm looking for? That um, they wouldn't. That they wouldn't tax. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. yeah like yeah. something like more available to the common man. Sure. So, in addition to beer, the consumption of tea was promoted as well. And by 1830, beer became cheaper than gin for the first time in over a century. Wow. In England. So Interesting. That is the beer craze. That is the gin craze. That sounds crazy. Um. So the gin. Yeah. Crazy gin history there. But so get your Google out. I, Google gin lane. And you know, there's other things we talked about on a previous episode, like why gin and tonics became popular because it's actually because English were in, quinine, in yeah. India when and in India they had problems with malaria and quinine is a is an you know is a um what is anti malarial. So and to make the quine, the original quinine more palatable, it was they much put stronger, it in, yeah, in gin and uh, sparkling water essentially. So 
Uh, there's a lot of other histories, but I think we got, had touched on some of those, but I was pretty interested in the gin craze. That's pretty fun. Fun facts. Crazy. Go look up those etchings. It's really fun to it's fun to look at them. <laughs> like I said, suitable for framing. <laughs> so crazy. Um, we had also talked, uh, I think we'd also talked in uh, a previous one that, you know, gin and tonics were created to also help with scurvy on boats. Sure, helping people actually have some kind of... Uh, Get some kind of fruit. Yep. So anyway, that's my gin facts for today. Uh, I am done facts. with my hanky panky, so I think we should move on to our second drink. Alrighty. What are we? What are we gonna? What are we gonna need for that? We are going to make. Oh, I love this cocktail. We're gonna make a cocktail called the Last Word. Oh and wow! No doubt, you guys out there in listening land have heard about this. Kind of the classic, famous, old timey. Yeah, it has so a little bit of mystique around the last word. The last word um, was a prohibition cocktail, and it made um, it made a reoccurrence. Um, I think it, a resurgence. A research. Yeah, sorry, I'm bad with words today. Actually, they said um, at, it started around the time of uh, the prohibition era, mm-hmm. um, and at the Detroit Athletic Club, it used to be priced for thirty five cents. And that used to be the most expensive cocktail in the menu. Wow. Yes. So um, probably still could be. But it's almost kind of like now, it's like for the folks in the know that give the nod to, nod to the bartender and be like, oh, the last word, please. It's like and, the cool thing to And order. for a long time, it had just like fallen out of existence. And then about 15, 17 years ago or so, um, there's a bartender here in Seattle who breathed new life into this cocktail. And now it's kind of come up on the charts, let's say. So I'm going to tell you how to make it let's do that yes okay so we're going to need a shaker with ice in it for this one let's do some ice oh i'm so excited for you guys to try this one and this is actually going to be an equal part cocktail which is really fun for me makes it easy to remember guys so we're going to do three quarters of an ounce of gin tanqueray is what we use okay give me that okay it is it's in there and we're going to do three quarters of an ounce of green chartreuse uh, here we go. And you might ask me what that is, and the I'm going to be, I'm gonna liquid be happy gold. to tell you about that after we make this. The liquid gold. Here we go. It's in there. And then we're going to do three quarters of an ounce of maraschino liqueur. Okay. Greg calls that the bartender's friend. It is. And three quarters of an ounce of fresh squeezed lime juice. Which we happen to have prepared and strained right here, ready to go through that fine mesh conical filter. All right. Everything That's is it. in there. I think we're going to- Shake it up. We're going to give it a little shaky shaky. You want to shake that thing until it just freezes your hands. Sometimes I wrap a towel on it, and when I made one of these earlier, I actually got the towel stuck to the shaker. Yeah, then you That's know it's cold. nice and cold. <laughs> you know it's nice and cold when you're shaking. Okay, I'm going to grab a cocktail glass. Okay, okay, bring that over here, and I'll put a little bit in here. Okay, here we go. Go ahead and strain that in there. There's a little bit of oh, there. yeah, it's fun. It's a kind of, if I was going to describe a lime color, that would be this drink. It's yeah, it's kind of a lime a, color. It's a limey it's, color. It's definitely like got that green. It, it's cloudy. It's got a little green, greenish haze to it. It looks good. They, it looks really good. It smells good too. It's got that kind of like tart kind of smell to it. Here, let's give it a shot. Sorry, I take a sip. But here, cheers. All right, here we go. They said uh, no, there's a no garnish, or you can put a little mm. lime peel, or you can do whatever you want. I saw lots of different things. Um, most people don't put any garnish on it. but That is so good. Kind of the, uh, because chartreuse is so, so good. It's so herbaceous. And then mixing with the uh, the juice, 
as well as the uh, gin in there. It's, it's And the maraschino liqueur and the green chartreuse have sweetness to them? Again, it's kind of like the battle between the uh, sweetness from the uh, the red, uh, the sweet vermouth, and the uh, and the fernet in the other drink, kind of where those pair up and taste a different direction. Yeah. In this one, it's the chartreuse taking the role of the fernet, and it's the uh, luxardo taking the role of the uh, sweet vermouth, and and it's completely completely different. different, but yet the balance still stays the same. You have the same kind of bringing a tart element to it, but then it's like counteracted by a sweet then left over by the delicious juice taste too. And then, of course, the gin is right there to kind of back everything up. It's 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 a fantastic drink. Yeah, it took us a while to make the last word for the first time because of mm-hmm. green chartreuse. And yes. Green chartreuse is a little expensive, I have it to is. be honest. It is. But there's nothing that tastes like it. There, yeah, you're not going to get any... You're not going to be able to substitute anything for uh the flavor of this stuff it's it's and it's got a pretty pretty interesting history too it does but i'm gonna make it brief because i know we're running a little long um we're we're we are okay okay. we you got a little bit of time but not much okay so the green chartreuse um is the one that we've used there's two different kinds of chartreuses there's a green Mm -hmm. and there's a yellow and then of course depending on how much you want to spend they have like ones that have aged longer or whatever, but I think it's expensive enough. Um, the bottle of green chartreuse probably is between like 60 and $70 average. Uh-huh. Yeah, but you're not using a ton of it either. So No, our, our bottle has lasted over a year and we still yeah. have tons left. Yep. Also because I'm a little conservative we're, about we're it. Definitely, we're, definitely, we're definitely precious with it. But it's such an interesting flavor. And I don't have even words to describe what the flavor is it's really its own it's like super herbal but not like in kind of a spicy bitter herbal way like fernet is it's a different kind of herbal so wikipedia describes the flavor as sweet but spicy and pungent no um but i'm not i don't get any of that and but they say vegetal or herbaceous which of course it is because it's more of like an amaro right so um what it is is a like 130 herbs that are infused right into um a distilled alcohol essentially right. it's it's, it's going to be again it's not going to be something you're going to be like hey i'm going to crack open the crack open the uh <laughs> the bottle and like finish it in one night you're not going to do that no it's a but oh gosh it's so good in cocktails it's fantastic um it has a history um from the 1737 according to wikipedia um it was created or at least the recipe was handed over to the carthusian monks and they were given a manuscript mm-hmm. by francois antibal estre oh sorry in 1605 that's right it was the 1600s i think yes yeah. because if i remember right and i don't see this in here but i believe that he was the like a military he was he was an artilleryman for napoleon Mm-hmm. Correct, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, was that was that correct? With an, art, an artillery uh, captain or something like that, and where he got this book that had the oh, he was a French diplomat also. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I looked it up. I tried to figure out how he had freaking book gotten that over there. Oh, sorry, no, he was not not Napoleon. That was later. Um, 
he was the lover of Henry the Fourth of France. But he still was a uh, artillery. Well, person. of course, of course, he can be that. He was, yeah, he was a lot of things. And actually, he was he many married, things. He was many things to many people. Um, he was also the lieutenant general in mm-hmm. France. I mean, also, I believe he married um, Maria of Medici. He which did, is from the, of the Medici, Medici family, family in, in Florence. Florence, right. Mm-hmm. And they're um, very famous uh, Florin- Florinian. I don't know how you would say people from Florence. Um, the Florinian patrons of the yes, arts. Yeah. So they they sponsored, uh, that family itself sponsored a lot of our famous artists that we know today. Oh, God, yeah. Like Da Vinci and et cetera, All et those guys. So, um, yeah, so he somehow gave the monks this recipe he found. I couldn't find any more information. We well, gave him about a book it. and it had the recipe in it. So there must have been something kind of like religious y about it. And he's probably like, ah, I don't want this. So then it was named after the monk's Grand Chartreuse Monastery, mm-hmm. um, hence the name Chartreuse. And that was in the general region of Grenoble in France. Then the liqueur was produced at a distillery um, in a nearby town called Veyron, I believe. Veyron. And uh, like I said, was composed of distilled alcohol with 130 herbs, plants, and flowers. Wow. It's one of the handful of liqueurs that continues to age and improve in the bottle, according to Wikipedia. Oh, that's kind of cool. Which is a little bit interesting. Which is good, because if you have your bottle forever, then it'll be even better by the last drop. Well, and then the chartreuse VP, I think it's called, is like very extra important Blah, blah, blah. Well, it's aged. Um, it's it's aged, aged a long oak. time. So, and that's so it makes one want to buy an oak barrel and age their own. <laughs> I don't know how long they age. Ninety it. bottle, kind of ninety dollar bottle of chartreuse or whatever, and see what happens to it. Anyway, so it's kind of interesting. But up to this day, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of history. I don't think I should go into all of it. Um, there was like they were t- the monks were sent out of. They were expelled in 1793 from France, and then they went into um, they went into Spain. And then there was a lot of problems, but eventually they were able to go back into France. And that's uh, where they now, I think they have two manufacturing or mm-hmm. two they places yeah. that they make chartreuse. And one is in Spain and one is in France. They do. And so uh, in Catalonia. Now, actually. isn't there something about only so many monks know the secret yes. recipe? So on the package, it yeah, On the said, bottle, it says one thing, right? Three monks know the secret at recipe. At any one time. At any one time. But everything else, including the website for Chartreuse, says two monks. So I don't know where that third monk Maybe is coming from. Maybe the third monks in training. Like third training monk or something. I don't know. They need to read their copy on their bottle again and re- or, revisit that, right? I mean, if they're making it in two different locations, maybe like... There's one monk. There's a, there's like, there's there's a monk an and a half in one and a monk and a half in the other. Well, there's two, probably two, uh, probably two uh, France monks and the French monks. And there's probably one off-site Spanish monk. Who kind of knows some stuff that's going on. No, he should know all of it. So. <laughs> anyway, that's but about yeah, chartreuse. It's, um, it's an interesting liqueur. And if you are to, out, yeah. try something with it in it. And you, the, it's a distinctive flavor mm-hmm. that I completely enjoy. Yeah. So, And if you know, if you want to know any more about that, where were you reading that chartreuse information from, babe? Um, I was looking on Wikipedia. I also looked on the chartreuse website. There you go. So there's some reading material for... Everybody who might be interested in some of the stuff we talked about. There's tonight. more history on the history of chartreuse, which I think would be fun to read if you're interested, and that right. is on Wikipedia. Fantastic. So. Now, if people want to see pictures of what we've created and get those recipes, we kind of went through pretty fast tonight. 
Where are they going to go to find those types of things, You're going to find them on Instagram. I, really? Yeah, an amateur bartending uh, for the number four immature. That's amazing. They probably <laughs> haven't heard that. If I'm sure they've never to. heard that in their lives at this <laughs> Absolutely. point. And, you know, this podcast that you're listening to right now, you probably found on your favorite podcast site, whether that be Google, whether that be Apple, or whether that be whatever iTunes, iTunes or whatever the heck. <laughs> But just remember, what's really going to help us out, subscribe to that thing, because that's what they're looking at when they want to uh, see who's doing good, is how many subscribers you got. So, you know, yep. subscribe, like. And give like. us feedback. We love feedback. Give us, and we love comments. Absolutely. We love to see the Unless pictures. Unless they're mean, and then we don't want them. Yeah, then you can take that <laughs> and put it wherever you'd like to put it. But, you know, we love to see the pictures that people send of what they've been doing, and we love to hear kind of like how, you know, people have been able to take some of these recipes and... Uh, have a good time with them because that's what this is all about. We enjoy it. We're hoping you enjoy it. Shan, this was a great episode. Yep. I really look forward to looking more myself into the chartreuse. So it's fun. when you're thinking, ah, oh, gin and tonic, hey, maybe try one of these. That's all I'm saying. That is an excellent <laughs> way to end the episode on gin. Yeah. All right. Cheers, Shan. Cheers. <laughs>